Welcome to PA Centered, a podcast designed to help listeners be a part of the solution to end sexual harassment, abuse, and assault. Each episode, we will take on a topic or current event to help spark conversation and break down barriers to building communities free from sexual violence. Jackie Strom, the Prevention and Resource Coordinator at the Pennsylvania Coalition Against Rape. And for the first time, I have a co-host. Hi, I'm Kelsey Myers, the Communications and Public Policy Specialist at PCAR. We are joined by attorneys Conrad Jarzna and Lisa Matakaitis with PCAR's Sexual Violence Legal Assistance Program, or SVLAP, to learn more about a recent Supreme Court case that could mean a lot to students who are experiencing sexual harassment or discrimination. So welcome, Conrad and Lisa. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for having us. Good morning, Kelsey and Jackie. Thank you. So the team of attorneys at PCAR's SVLAP represents survivors of sexual harassment, abuse, and assault for free throughout Pennsylvania. The services are safe, trauma-informed, and confidential. And you can learn more about SVLAP and how to get in contact with them by checking out the episode description. We're so happy to have Conrad and Lisa here to get some legal opinions on a recent Supreme Court decision. Um, please note that due to the topic of this case, we may be using some vulgar language. We'll also be discussing sexual violence. And so we anticipate that schools are going to be reopening full time for the first time in over a year since COVID. And with the school year approaching, we thought it might be timely to talk about kids' speech rights. So I'm going to turn it over to Lisa to give us some background on the case. So today uh, we're going to highlight a, uh, a case that involves a cheerleader, a Snapchat, and a few curse words. Uh, I think my mom is listening, so I, I don't know if I'm allowed to say them. Um, and the case made it all the way up to the Supreme Court of uh, the United States, right here, from right here in our own backyard, um, a town called Mahanoy City. It's a town in the coal region of Pennsylvania, about an hour and a half north of Harrisburg. Um, and this case was decided in the cheerleader's favor. It's very rare to get a solid majority decision from the Supreme Court, which is usually divided. Um, but this case was decided uh, eight to one. And that means that we have a little bit more clarity for our kids and our schools about what they can and can't say outside of school. Uh, to provide a little background, the Supreme Court recently decided this case for a student and a school district uh, that the student that brought the case, her name was Brandy Levy. Uh, she was represented by the ACLU of Pennsylvania. Um, she was a student at Mahanoy Area High School. It's a public school, like I said, in a small town, a small rural town in Pennsylvania. Uh, there's about 4,000 people in that town. Um, when, when Brandy was 14, she didn't make the varsity cheer squad and she was upset and disappointed. And um, she did what a lot of kids would do. She went to social media and expressed her frustration. She went to a, like a local convenience store um, and posted a, a simple message to her friends over Snapchat that said, fuck school, fuck cheer, fuck softball, fuck everything. She took a selfie and gave the finger and figured that was the end of it. But 
after founding out of that the post, her school suspended her from the junior varsity cheerleading team where she had earned a spot and they, they cited her for a breach of the code of conduct. Um, she'd been made to sign as part of the cheerleading team. Her parents, um, kudos to them, they contacted the ACLU. From what I understand, the ACLU gets about 5,000 um, requests for help every year. Um, and the ACLU stepped in and helped her. And they wrote a letter to the school saying that, you know, you can't discipline the student for exercising her rights, her free speech rights, her First Amendment rights. Um, she said it outside of school and it was off school grounds, off school time. There were no threats made to the school. Um, it didn't disrupt the school's functioning. Um, and you need to not issue her any discipline. The school didn't, uh, didn't agree. And um, she had to go all the way through the court system. It started in the federal court in the middle district of Pennsylvania. She got an injunction. She got a temporary injunction, then a permanent injunction. The school kept appealing it and went to the third circuit. The third circuit found in her favor. The school appealed that to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court ultimately found in her favor. And so this is a pretty important case. Uh, I think Conrad's gonna talk more. Yeah, I mean, another significance of this case is that it's been so long, several decades since the Supreme Court, Court dealt with a student speech issue. Um, the last major Supreme Court case that took up the issue of student speech rights was uh, during the Vietnam War, I'm sorry, Vietnam War uh, in the 1960s when a couple of students were black armbands to school in protest of the war. Uh, at that time, the Supreme Court uh, decided that the, the school cannot discipline students for their speech unless it poses substantial, quote unquote, uh, disruption to the learning environment. That case was uh, titled Tinker versus uh, Des Moines. And uh, uh, the test applied in that case we, uh, has been called Tinker Test since that time. So we know that schools cannot punish a student for off-campus speech unless it materially disrupts classwork or involves substantial disorder or invasion of the rights of others. So uh, since the Tinker case came out in the 1960s, there's been a couple other Supreme Court decisions, but none since we've had the, the internet and social media. Um, now we're in an age where most kids are carrying their iPhones to school, they're using iPads, they're using computers during school. Um, and you know, with COVID last year, the schools began distributing laptops to kids to learn remotely by Zoom and other platforms. Uh, so in, in this situation, it's really, really important to um, point out that the cheerleader speech didn't happen at school or during school hours or during a school-sponsored activity. Um, those can be activities like riding the, the bus to a, a football game or, um, you know, taking the bus to and from school. Um, field trips can be school-sponsored activities. Uh, this didn't happen in any of those situations. It didn't happen on a school-issued device, um, and it wasn't using the school's internet. Uh, rather, this happened on a, on a Snapchat post that the student made at a coffee shop or a gas station on a Saturday. Um, after she didn't make the, the varsity cheerleading team. 
So were the schools arguing that they wanted to monitor kids' social media or off-campus speech or cyberbullying or any kind of threats? Like, did they actually want to have the burden of checking the kids' social media accounts? Yes. I mean, in this in this case, the school, um, the reason why the school kept appealing uh, is because the school wanted to expand its ability to, to at least control or be able to decide um, you know, when they can get involved or impose discipline. I wouldn't say that they want to necessarily be in charge of monitoring the social media accounts, but they, I think the way I take it, at least in more arbitrary fashion, they wanted to basically pick and choose when they can, cannot get involved. And uh, um, the Supreme Court recognized that the school age kids need to, you know, blow off some steam or express their opinion. Um, whenever they want, especially outside of school. And uh, the kids cannot be uh, silenced. Uh, in fact, uh, the Supreme Court uh, stated that the schools are, and I quote, nurseries for our democracy. So, uh, you know, the free speech is not something just for the adults. It's, it's also for, uh, uh, for kids in our schools. Uh, the court also recognized that the schools cannot be in charge of students 24 seven. Just doesn't make sense. That just gets us into more of a big brother territory. Uh, and most of all, it's not the job of the schools to be monitoring kids' social media media accounts like Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, and, and TikTok. I mean, it's difficult enough for parents to do it, let alone uh, school districts. Um, but it is the parents' responsibility uh, to, you know, to see what the kids are up to, what they say on social media, what kind of activities they engage in. And, and the school shouldn't be really, you know, in charge of that or, or be given some parental rights in terms of, you know, uh, raising children. Uh, the, the, this decision actually should be, you know, if I'm a school administrator, I would be relieved because then now I'm not in charge and it's not on my shoulders to to make sure that what's said off campus is you know my responsibility. That's why I said earlier it seemed like more of an arbitrary thing. That like if we don't like something, we're just going to address it, and then we decide what we will address, what we will not address. Um, but in essence, what happens off campus stays off campus. Uh, that is unless the campus, the off campus speech is bullying, threatening, uh, or it constitutes a hate speech. Uh, that kind of uh, speech really isn't protected under uh, the First Amendment, and it wasn't prior to this decision. So uh, um, disruptive to the school environment would be the key, you know, so if there is any off-campus off uh, speech or, I mean, anything said off-campus that, that uh, spills into the school environment and is disruptive, then the school can step in and, uh, and get involved. Yeah, and I think it was so important in this decision um, that the court recognized that that schools really do have the responsibility to protect kids' First Amendment rights. Um, like you said, Conrad, that the court wrote that um, America's public schools are are the nurseries of democracy. That is so important. Um, you know, kids are developing; they're developing their thoughts and their ideas, and uh, it's it's very important for the schools to protect even unpopular expression. And especially when that expression takes place off of campus. Uh, we are raising, the schools are, are educating the next generation um, of people in our democracy. And it's very, very important that their speech is protected.
Yes, and, and we must keep in mind that this decision does not mean that the same speech would be protected if it happened on campus or if the off-campus speech that is deemed you know, racist, bullying, again, threatening or otherwise disruptive to learning, uh, campus, on-campus speech can be limited and the schools have you know, um, ability to, to step in and, and, and control it. Or you know, Also, we should know that on-campus these days doesn't necessarily mean on the you know, piece of real estate where the school is located, but also uh, on the school's sponsored or supported uh, platforms uh, where the students can post uh, or chat, etc. So that will, would also uh, uh, be considered on campus. Uh, and that's most schools limit students on campus speech uh, and they ban language that's, uh, again, not to repeat myself, but it's lewd, racist, vulgar, disruptive. Uh, it's uh, bullying in nature or you know, threatening directly or indirectly. And so just to jump in there, most schools, Conrad, are going to have policies, right? Um, whenever I'm looking at a school issue or a school speech issue or a harassment issue, the first thing that I'm going to do is go to uh, the school's website and look for their, their um, school board policies or the school policies or the school handbook. And most schools in Pennsylvania that I've seen so far do have a website. They have their policies posted. Uh, they might not be that easy to find, but usually they're available to the public. And the, the policies that you're going to be looking for to see, you know, if you do have a, a, an issue with harassment or um, a speech issue or a discipline issue, you're going to look for a school's Title IX policy, um, their anti-discrimination policy, their unlawful harassment policy, things like that. Um, and you really want to see in those policies, you know, what what is prohibited, what is protected. If you're uh, a victim of a harassing situation, to whom do you make the report and how do you make that report? Uh, so I think it's real important to always be familiar with your own school's policies and procedures, just like if, if you were um, in the workplace. So if a student, since uh, a lot, lots of kinds of speech are um, in fact able to be regulated by the school, especially ones that are, are threatening or involve some level of harassment, um, what can we suggest that students who are experiencing cyberbullying do or, or students that see a credible threat to their school posted online? So one resource that we definitely want to share, um, if you're in Pennsylvania and listening, there is something called Safe to Say Something. And there, it's an app. Um, they also have a website where you can make like an anonymous tip or submit an anonymous tip rather, or a phone number that you can call. And so if you are worried about safety in any way or like a threat to your school, you can make this report so that somebody can actually investigate it. And I believe you can do the same thing if there is instances of cyberbullying going on. But some other options are to really talk to a trusted adult in your life about what's going on. Um, we'll post some resources about how you can help a friend if this is happening to them. But then also wanting to remind folks that we have experts all over Pennsylvania who can come into schools, parenting groups, really anywhere, and talk with kids about healthy relationships, healthy communication, and how to get help if they need it. So has this case left us with um, Lisa and Conrad with some 
questions that still don't have really specific answers related to um, how schools ought to behave in these situations, how students and their parents ought to behave, um, like how to address if off-campus speech crosses over the line. Um, were there any clear answers on that or is this something that the court still has to decide with future cases? I think what this case accomplished was just provide clarity or this distinction between off and on-campus um, uh, speech and basically uh, provided schools with some guidance as to when they can and cannot get involved. So I think that's, that's very helpful. Um, otherwise, there you know other processes, other laws that also protect uh, students uh, and teachers as well that have been in place uh, and uh, that, you know, the schools, uh, you know, first thing that comes to mind is uh, Title IX. Uh, traditionally, people think that that only applies to um, athletes, but it applies to basically, you know, all the students, uh, employees of, of schools, and uh, each school uh, does or should have a Title IX policy and procedures for um, addressing, uh, you know, certain situations, not all the situations, uh, but, but certain situations uh, where someone is being targeted, you know, individually as a group. Um, and uh, in those cases, you know, can report it to a Title IX coordinator. And, uh, uh, you know, I think before you do that, it's probably prudent to uh, maybe seek legal uh, advice on, on how to approach it if, if you have questions or if you feel uncomfortable. Um, so the most part, I mean, the schools, uh, they know how to deal with these situations. They should know how to deal with this situation. Now they know, you know, when they really should back off and, and, and stay away. Yeah. And, and there are a lot of situations that come up that, that could implicate a student's first amendment rights or their equal protection rights and also title nine. Um, and I just, I, I was just reading about uh, something that happened in, in Kansas. It didn't happen in Pennsylvania, but um, over the past year, this involved a 14-year-old uh, student who was riding a school bus. And like a lot of school buses, it was like a chaotic environment. The kids were screaming. Um, it was noisy. The kids were cursing or using vulgar language. And uh, the bus driver didn't do anything about that, but when the 14-year-old female student came up to her and said, I'm, I'm a lesbian, uh, the driver, the school bus driver told her to, to watch her mouth, um, that I've got little kids up here, and do you think these little kindergartners need to know what that word means? Uh, the school bus driver went on to like write her up for disobeying the driver, unacceptable language, rude, discourteous, noisy, or annoying. Um, the, the student told she was going to be suspended for several days from riding the bus. Um, and she, you know, challenged that decision. The video from the bus showed that the female student wasn't being disruptive. She was being cooperative, unlike some of the other kids on the bus who weren't written up. Uh, she talked to a teacher about it. And the teacher said, she asked, Hey, what if I would have said I'm straight? Will we be here? And the teacher said, no, because it's not inappropriate. Uh, so she went on to file a Title IX complaint, you know, saying that she was denied educational opportunities because of her, her sex. Uh, a violation of Title IX was, was found and it was affirmed on appeal. 
Uh, but there's still, you know, the, the separate issues of whether that, that action violated her First Amendment rights or equal protection rights under the 14th Amendment. So, you know, it's important to note that all these, these cases that we're talking about are happening in public schools, you know, and, and the Constitution, the constitutional amendments that we're talking about apply to government action. So um, it may be different if it was a fully private school, but, you know, the kids in school have rights and it's, it's important that uh, they understand their rights and that the schools have policies and that there's a place for them to be able to um, make a complaint if they feel like they're being uh, unfairly disciplined or, or targeted because of their protected class or because of their, their First Amendment rights. So in a lot of the cases that we talked about, including the one that you just mentioned, Lisa, um, we're talking about minors who are in high school, right? Or, or students who are part of the public school system, but before they turn 18. Um, we know through um, our work as the Pennsylvania Coalition Against Rape that um, a lot of the students we work with who might experience, you know, um, harassing speech or other um, types of speech-related problems are actually in higher education in college. Um, some of them are still teenagers, but most of them are over the age of 18. They're not minors, so they're legal adults. Um, if a student goes to a public institution of higher education, like a community college or a state school, um, how do these decisions affect that college or university's ability to regulate student speech? Is it different because the students are now legal adults or is it more similar? Um, how, how is that uh, Supreme Court case affecting colleges? Yeah, that's, that's a great question, Kelsey. And the answer is there is really no difference, uh, whether it's a K-12 environment or, or you know, uh, undergraduate school, graduate school, uh, these cases, the, these cases, or this particular case, applies in the same way. You know, whether it's a, there is a distinction between on and off campus speech. When does a school can cannot get involved? Uh, I don't think there is real, really any difference between types of schools or age of the students um, when it co comes to you know how this case would be would be applied. So if you're at college and let's say someone. Let's use the exact same example. You, you're frustrated that you didn't make the uh, cheerleading team uh, in college and you make the same comment and the school wants to discipline you. Uh, I, I don't see the Supreme Court deciding that case any different than they did uh, you know, here in the high school setting. So uh, speaking of speech in higher education or college environments, I'm a little curious about, um, we've recently over the last decade or so definitely had some cases of speech on college campuses that were uh, quite disruptive or harassing um, or threatening. Um, I can think specifically about um, a chant that went around the country for quite a while, um, and this is fairly vulgar, but um, of some young students marching around the campus stating um, no means yes, yes means anal, which obviously involves sexual violence and um, by some could be seen as threatening that violence on students. Um, just recently here in Pennsylvania, there was another case where um, some students gathered around um, a space that was designated to be for LGBTQ students and that they had claimed and, and these students were 
um, kind of homophobically stating that actually the space belonged to them um, and were extremely unwelcoming and harassing toward the LGBTQ students. Um, can you talk about how this case um, might guide decisions made around those types of students and those types of cases? Yeah, so again, I, I would um, encourage people that if, if they are kind of targeted by that speech, even on a college campus, to um, look for their, their school's Title IX uh, director, Title IX department, and Title IX policies um, it, that may be covered under Title IX. It may also be covered under other um, policies like sex discrimination. Um, and so it's worth anytime you're faced with a situation like that, um, it's worth consulting with your Title IX uh, department. And they, they can usually give you some kind of policy or a brochure um, and your reporting options. Uh, so that's important. And then also people in Pennsylvania can give us a call. Uh, Conrad and I are both attorneys with the, the SV Lab. We're, we're free and confidential attorneys. If you have any questions, um, we're here uh, to listen and to give you advice uh, if you're a victim of sexual assault, harassment, or abuse. Um, Conrad, what should students do if they have a specific question about um, a student's speech as it relates to them and their particular case? Uh, they have a, uh, that's a question involving a student's speech in the context of, you know, what their rights are, what what you know how they can enforce it or they're being targeted by someone else's speech my advice would be just to to consult with an attorney i mean there, there are a lot of these every situation is different uh, very fact specific um and and uh it's just better to get legal advice as soon as you can uh mainly because sometimes you're dealing with statute of limitations that may be too late to you know to enforce those rights uh, when you're dealing with particular policies, there are timelines that you need to follow and procedures that you need to follow. And, you know, unless, unless you're pretty familiar with that and savvy, you know, uh, you, you want an attorney to review the policy and, and um, um, apply the facts of your situation to the policy or to the applicable law. Um, and just, just so know, you know, you know how to proceed if you contact us, uh, for advice, it doesn't mean that you have to pursue your case, that you're then, you know, bound to do it. Uh, sometimes people will get advice from, from us, and in light of that advice, they decide not to, um, not to pursue their case, but at least they feel comfortable that they know, you know, where they stand and what they can, cannot do. And uh, I'm also not saying that you have to contact us. I mean, there are plenty of attorneys and, and you know, uh, they're competent and experienced and, and you know, the bottom line is speak to an attorney or someone who at least is familiar with, with these policies or laws uh, and, and can guide you through the process. Well, Lisa and Conrad, thank you so much for joining us to talk about constitutional law and how it affects Pennsylvania students and survivors. Thank you so much for having us and congratulations on your first podcast, Kelsey. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.
All right, that's all the time we have today, but thank you all so much for listening to this episode of PA Centered. You can learn more about this Supreme Court decision by visiting the links in the episode description, and you can contact the SVLAP at 717-901-6784. If you or a loved one needs help, a local sexual assault center is available 24-7. Call 1-888-772-7227 for more information or find your local center online at pcar.org. Together, we can end sexual violence. Any views or opinions expressed on PA Centered by staff or their guests are solely their own and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of PCAR or PCAR's funders.